Man, I like that song. I hope you did. God. Um, in, in the sporting world in general, and it doesn't matter what sport you're talking about, there's a debate. And, it, and it, it's every sport, doesn't discriminate. Who's the GOAT? The greatest of all time. And you can pick any sport and different people in the room will have different opinions. For example, um, NASCAR. When it comes to NASCAR, who's the GOAT? Who's the greatest of all time? Okay, heard some Dale Earnhardt's and, um, and you're entitled to your opinion. Now, a lot of respect, but I'm a Richard Petty guy. That was my first, I, I, I'm a Richard Petty guy, but Dale, Dale Earnhardt, see, there's no, how about golf? Who's the greatest golfer ever lived? Arnold, that, that is also a drink. Um, Arnold Palmer is a non-alcoholic drink, by the way. I am not endorsing, um, but Arnold Palmer, Tiger Woods, you got all kind of debates. I would say basketball, but if you don't say Michael Jordan, then I, your opinion doesn't count. Because listen, LeBron James could not carry Michael Jordan's jockstrap. And that's just reality. Michael Jordan is the greatest he's ever played, period. Let's pray and go home, all right? Um, but when it comes to this next sport, um, there are people, there are people that say, well, I'll tell you this, I can find five different people that you could make the case that one of these five are the greatest of all time. Now, I did some research on this this week. One of the guys, though, that has to be mentioned in this conversation is the sport is boxing, and the man I'm talking about is Mike Tyson. Now, maybe, maybe he's not the greatest of all time, but you gotta throw him in the conversation because when he was in his prime, there, he, has, he has eight fights, eight fights where he knocked his opponent out in less than a minute. That's good. I don't care. It took him longer to walk to the ring than it did for him to knock his opponent out. I remember it was either in 88 or 89, he fought Michael Spinks. It was supposed to be the greatest fight of all time. Both fighters undefeated. They were saying it was gonna go 15 rounds and Mike Tyson knocked him out in 91 seconds. You didn't even have a chance to sit down and get your popcorn and the fight was over. It was crazy. Now, the reason I bring that up is because when it comes to God working in my life, I don't know about you, but I want a Mike Tyson God. I wanna be able to pray about something and God step in and knock that situation out. And then when God's working through me, I want God to work through me like Mike Tyson. Like I wanna get, I wanna knock out depression. I wanna knock out addiction. I wanna knock out fear and shame and worry. That's how I want to, that, that's how I want God to operate through me. But one of the things that people don't realize is the reason Mike Tyson was so good. He didn't wake up, roll out of bed, put on his, you know, his clothes, drive down to the ring and just knock people out. He had a process. This was his training regimen when he was in his prime. 5 a.m., get up and go for a three-mile jog. Now, some people in the room right there, you're done. That's it. That, you, you're just, you're out. That's how he started. Some people in the room didn't know five o'clock came twice a day, but it does. <laughs> 10 o'clock, eat oatmeal. Do, do ring work, 10 rounds of sparring. Now, if you, if you have never sparred, that is, that's tough stuff, especially, um, anyway, have steak and pasta with fruit juice, six rounds. This one got me, five o'clock. 2,000 sit-ups, five to 800 dips, 
500 press-ups, 500 shrugs with a 30-kilogram dumbbell, and 10 minutes of neck exercise. This guy was a, was a machine. But the reason he had so much power is he was committed to a process. And without the process, he doesn't have the power. Now, I mean, if, if, if we committed to that process right there physically, we'd be knocking people out within six months too. Not saying that that's what I recommend. I'm just saying Mike Tyson's power came from his process. And when it comes to us and our relationship with God, the power of God, now listen, I've seen God step in and do things that would blow your mind. I've seen him heal people. I've seen him heal people of addiction on the spot. I've seen him heal people of, a, of depression on the spot, but those are called miracles. They do happen, but more often than not, God's power and God's process work together. And a lot of people want God's power, but they don't want the process of getting plugged in like we talked about last week. So I said all that to set up the sentence that I'm gonna say, and then I'm, want, I'm gonna want you to repeat it because if you don't get anything I say tonight, I want you to get this one thing, and it's this. God is fighting for me. God is fighting for me. Now, some people feel like God is fighting me, and that could be true if you're Pharaoh in the story. You don't wanna be that guy, so we're not talking about him, and nobody here tonight is Pharaoh. God is fighting for me. I want you to say that on three. One, two, three. God is fighting for me. Now, we're gonna do it again, but I want you to say it like you mean it. One, two, three. God is fighting for me. Okay, now, this is on a macro level and a micro level. On a macro level, God is fighting for you. There are people in this room, I would, I would bet my last Bible that every single person in this room, God has fought battles for you that you're completely unaware of. God has gone ahead of you and taken care of problems. God has, God has kept things from happening to you that you didn't even know were gonna happen to you. And one of these days you're gonna get to heaven and you're gonna get to see what could have happened had God, God is fighting for you. There are people in this room that you know God has fought for you. You know God has came through for you. You know he's done some great things for you and God is fighting for you on a macro level. But on a micro level, he's also fighting for our hearts. And he's also fighting for our minds. Because if God can captivate our hearts and God can captivate our minds, we get plugged in to the process. We will walk with more power and authority in our lives than we could have ever imagined. And that brings us back to the book of Exodus. Now we've been hanging out with Moses and he's arguing with the man on fire in the middle of the bush for the past two weeks. He's been arguing with Jesus and last week he was throwing down the, the, the staff and two weeks ago talked about his stinky feet, all that stuff. Well, finally Moses and Aaron decide they're gonna go to tell Pharaoh to let the people go. But before we get there, let's, let's set up, let's, let's revisit how the Israelites got enslaved in the first place. Remember, Joseph, coat of many colors in Genesis, he goes to Egypt, pretty much saves the world from starvation, and he is the man, and he moves his entire family, about 70 in all, to this area called Goshen, just right outside of Egypt, and they start, the Bible said they started multiplying. Okay, good, we'll do a series on that sometime. Um, and this is what the Bible says in Exodus chapter, eight, or verse, chapter one, verse eight through 11. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. 
He said to his people, so this new king is Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the enemy. Are you tracking with me? Somebody say yes. We have a spiritual enemy. His name is Satan. So Pharaoh, Satan, enemy, all in the same camp. So I want you to watch what the enemy says about the Israelites who are the children of God. Today, we are God's people. We are God's children. So the enemy is talking about the children of God. And this is what he says. The people of Israel, the people of God, now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. The enemy admitted there's more of them and they're stronger than us. And he's like, if they ever get on the same page, we're toast. And I think the enemy, our enemy, our spiritual enemy knows that as well. That there, there are a lot of Christians in the world. There's over 2 billion people that claim to be followers of Christ. And when the people of God start living for the purpose of God and start working together, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. There's nothing that we can't do. There's nothing that can stand in our way. And the enemy knows that. And so he, he says, look, there's a, there's a lot of them people of God. So he says this, we must make a plan to keep them from growing. Don't miss this, this is good. The enemy said we must make a plan to keep them, who's them? The people of God from growing. Who, <laughs> this is not a trick question. Who gets the most joy and benefit out of a church that doesn't grow? Satan, because the enemy in this passage is saying we don't want the people of God to grow. That's why when people tell me, oh, we got enough people coming to the church. I like it just like it is. I'm like, there's too many people going to hell. I ain't got time. We're gonna reach people. How many people are we gonna reach? I don't know. We're gonna reach people till I drop dead or Jesus comes back and maybe that happens at the same time and we all win, but we're gonna, we're gonna continue to reach people. He said, we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and they will escape from the country. He, just, he, he came up with this whole hypothetical situation. But don't miss this. The enemy has a plan to keep you from growing. And what's crazy is everybody's plan is different because what he can tempt you with, he can't tempt me with and vice versa. I'll give you an example. Let's say you coming over to my house tomorrow night and we gonna watch a TV show and I tell you to bring some snacks and you walk in with a bag of Doritos and a six pack of Coca-Cola or you're a communist and you bring Pepsi. It doesn't matter. I just preach the gospel, I'll keep it real. So you come in with your Doritos and your Coca-Cola and you sit it on the table and you walk out of the room, you come back in an hour, it's gonna be there. You know why? I, I, don't, I don't want Doritos. I have no desire for Doritos, none, zero. I have no desire. Now, if they ever legalize weed in South Carolina, maybe that changes, I don't know. But right now, I don't have any desire for Doritos and I can't drink soft drinks. If I drink a soft drink, acid reflux kicks up and I am in trouble. So I, that's not a problem for me. However, if you bring a box of fudge rounds and a milkshake, don't walk away. Don't walk away. Because that's gonna, it's gonna disappear because that's, that's a weakness of mine. Now, let me pause real quick. I gotta say this because if not, listen, I, 
Don't bring me fudge rounds next week. Don't. Do not bring me fudge rounds. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the fudge round spirit. In this, I'm, because I can't, I can't have them in my house. I can't have them in my house because I can't eat just one. Okay? So everybody struggles with something different. And there's some people, I, I love it because you meet church people in the South, they're like, I don't understand. I've never struggled with addiction and I've never struggled with depression and I've never struggled with anxiety. And I'm like, do you struggle with pride? Because that's the one that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Just saying. Anyway, so, so the enemy says we got to make a plan and, and, and this is what I think. The Egyptians knew that there were more of them and they outnumbered them, and so they said, hey, they, I don't think the Egyptians moved in. I want you to think about this hypothetical scenario. The Egyptian government formed a plan to control a large group of people, and they told this large group of people, we will feed you, we'll house you, we'll take care of you. All you've got to do is submit your rights to the state. Huh. I don't, anyway, isn't it crazy how, how much we progressed in the world? Um, but that's, what, that's the way they did it. They didn't come in and just say, we're gonna make you slaves. They, they, they just kind of eased them into it. And before they knew it, the whips got involved and the chains and the beatings and all that stuff, that happened. And this happened over a time period of 400 years. The Israelites had been enslaved for over 400 years. And if you're in slavery for 400 years, by the way, every Israelite at this, point, at this point in time had been born into slavery. None of them knew what freedom was like. Just like every single one of us in this room, every single person watching online, we were all born into sin. We were born slaves to sin. We knew how to sin. If you're a parent, your kid, amen, knew how to sin. They figured it out. They got it down from day one. You didn't have to teach your kid how to be selfish. They got it down. And so if you're in slavery for 400 years, you don't escape slavery with a poem and a prayer. You go through a process. That's how God works. God, could God have set them free on the spot, in the moment, no questions asked? Absolutely. But when you, when you miss the process, you miss seeing how big God is and how great he is and, and the miracles he's able to do in your life and in the life of other people. So, so the Egyptians are enslaving the Israelites and the Israelites, they're enslaved. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. And that's what the, that's what the enemy wants, wants to do to us. Here comes Moses. Now Moses had been meeting with God. Moses had been talking to the man on fire in the middle of the bush. Moses thinks this is gonna go awesome. I'm gonna walk in here, tell Pharaoh, let the people go. And Pharaoh's gonna let them go. And that's gonna be it. Because he had had these experiences with God that Pharaoh had never had. The problem with Pharaoh was Pharaoh thought he was God. You ever met that guy? You ever met that girl? You ever met that person? You don't have to point. I'm just saying, you ever met that person? Y'all got to talk back to me tonight. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna stand on this stage and preach by myself tonight. Somebody got to talk back, say amen, hallelujah, come on, preach, shuck the corn, shell the peas, something. I need some help tonight. Can somebody help a brother out? All right, dear God. So after this presentation to Israel's leaders, because Moses and Aaron went to Israel's leaders and they were like, hey guys, God wants y'all to not be slaves anymore. And they went, that is a great idea. And, and Moses said, I'm gonna go tell Pharaoh. So, so 
Moses walks in. I can imagine this. He's got his mic. Moses and Aaron went to speak to Pharaoh and they told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. And Moses dropped the mic because he thought that was it. That, what else did Pharaoh need to hear? But then Pharaoh came back and said, is that so? Retorted Pharaoh. There's a SAT word. We don't use that a lot, do we? And who is the Lord? And why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Um, but Aaron and Moses persisted. The God, this is, now they get, they get a little crazy. Christians get a little crazy. Sometimes we say stuff that God didn't really say. You, you, do you know anybody that's ever done that? Watch what they do. The God of Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifice to the Lord our God. If we don't, he will kill us with a plague or with a sword. He's saying that and Aaron's going, did you, did you get another memo? Because I didn't get that memo. I didn't get the whole sword plague memo. But Pharaoh, keeps, Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their task? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land and you are stopping them from their work. And then Pharaoh does something real interesting. The Israelites had a quota of bricks that they had to make every single day. And this was the deal. You make your quota of bricks, you don't get a beating. You miss your quota, you get a beating. That was the deal. And so, so what the Egyptians would do is they would supply the Israelites with the material, mainly straw, so they could make the brick. But Pharaoh said, you know what, since y'all got so much time on your hands, we're not gonna give you any more straw, but you have to bake the same number of bricks every single day. And the Bible says that the, that the Israelites couldn't do it. They couldn't keep up and they got beat more severely. And there's a lesson here, don't miss this. Whenever we say that we wanna break free from slavery, the enemy is gonna fight twice as hard to keep you in bondage. If you've ever seen somebody detox, I mean, really detox, it's, it's not fun and it's not pretty. They will shake, they will sweat, they will scream, they will hallucinate. It's the enemy trying to hang on. That's why it's so tough to break free from an addiction. I can remember, the enemy's so good, he'll hit you in places that you didn't expect to get hit. Years ago, I had an accountability partner. It's back in the 90s, there's this movement where all the men in the church had accountability partners. It didn't work because we would just call each other and go, did you mess up? Yep, I did too, good. In fact, you would mess up and you would pray that your accountability partner would mess up so you didn't feel that bad that week. That's how it worked. It, just, it was a bad idea, but we did it. Um, and I had some people in my life that were accountability partners and I struggled with sweets. I love sweets, I love cake, I love pies, I love ice cream. I love anything, I love it. I, the answer is just yes, I love sweets. And I said, you know what? I gotta cut sweets out because I'm, I'm trying to not, I'm, I'm trying to lose some weight and sweets have gotta go. So I call my accountability partners on a Sunday night eating some Ben and Jerry's because you if you're gonna go out, go out in style, right? And so I'm eating some Ben and Jerry's and I, I'm like, listen, y'all pray for me. Tomorrow I'm cutting, out I'm cutting out sweets for a week. I'm not eating sweets for a week. They said, you can do it, Perry. I was like, I know I got this. Next morning, promise you it happened. I walked in the gym, the gym the gym at 6 a.m. 
tell you about 6 a.m. people in the gym. None of them are there to look pretty. None of them are there to talk. They are there to work out. But as soon as I walk in, I heard, Pastor P. I look, and there's this lady. She's so sweet. And she's got in her hand a piece of aluminum foil. And it looked like she had a small child wrapped in it. And I said, oh, wow, what you got there? She said, you know, I was thinking about you yesterday and how much you love sweets. And I made my world-famous chocolate cake. She said, I only make it once or twice a year. And she said, I brought you a piece because I knew you would want this. And I said, get thee behind me, Satan. Not out loud. But I'm thinking, I'm at the freaking gym. And she said, I'm going to put it right here in this cubby. Now, don't you forget it. I said, oh, I won't. Now, I'll try my best to walk out of that gym. But she was there. Pastor P, you forgot your cake. So I went and got the cake, baby. Carried it to my car. <laughs> sat it down. And when I was leaving, she said, I'm going to ask you tomorrow how you liked it. And I'm driving home, and I'm like, listen, I don't want this cake, but I should have probably at least put my pinky in the icing just so I can tell cake baby woman that I ate the cake, stuck my pinky in the icing, and I swear to God, within five minutes, I had eaten every bit of that cake and was licking the aluminum foil. At the gym! Not, not at the restaurant! I was like, that's how Satan gets you. You're not even looking for it. You got your guard down. He comes in, he blindsides you. And that's what he did to me. And he's done that to every single one of us as well. We put our guard down and he'll, that's why, that's why we got to walk in preparation. That's why we got to have some people in our lives to help us out. That's why, I don't know about you, but that's why I got to start every day in the word because I got to have something to knock him out with when he comes at me. And so, thanks, Lauren. I appreciate that. Lauren was in right there. Everybody else was like, yeah, mm, mm. I don't know. Anyway, so, so this happens, and then Moses, up until this point, he had been all about himself. But then, here's what happens. When you start meeting with God, he gives you compassion for other people. You can't help it. And if you're like me, who's, I'm an introvert, it's annoying when you get compassion for other people. You're like, oh God, I gotta go talk to them. I gotta ask them how their day is and mean it. So Moses gets concerned and burdened about the people. And this is what he does. And then Moses went by to the Lord and protested. Why have you brought all this trouble on your people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people and you have done nothing to rescue them. You ever felt like that? You said, you said yes to God. And since you said yes to God, things have gotten worse for you and everybody else around. Anybody ever felt like that? Anybody, come on, tell the truth and shame the devil. Put your hand in the air and shame the devil today. You know it's happened. I surrender God, yes, and then you, 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 you're not going to hell, but you're, you're going through it on earth. We've all experienced that. And so, Moses, I love it because he's just so honest and he's so brutal. He hadn't been church long enough to know you can't say things like this to God. And God answers Moses. Then the Lord told Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, in other words, I'm gonna go Mike Tyson on him, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh. And Moses was like, the last time we talked, you said your name is I am. Now your name is Yahweh. 
Which is it? Because God's sharing more of who he is to Moses. God has several names in the scriptures. And I was, I was thinking about this the other day. Names mean something. Did you know your name has a meaning? Now, I think names have gotten crazy. I think some of the baby names are absolutely ridiculous today. And I'm not going to give examples because all the examples I have seen are from Second Chance Kids. And some of those names, I'm like, dear, dear Lord. But like names mean things. Like Karis, my daughter, her name means grace. We, we named her Karis because it's Greek for grace and it describes her well. She's a person that's full of grace. Shannon, my wife, that, her name means wise and she is wise, kinda. She married me. That's, that, that calls the wisdom in question. That's the only thing, wise. Um, Perry uh, means pear tree. That's what I got stuck with. I, my dad was drunk when I was born. That is a true story. I don't know. Perry means pear tree. That's, I just, I got the short end of the stick on that one right there. But Yahweh, God said, I am Yahweh. Now, we don't have that word in our language. It's not a very common word. But the best way to interpret Yahweh is I was, I am, I always will be. I was, I am, and I always will be. Now, let's step back and look at the situation. Why did God tell Moses, I am Yahweh? Moses, I was with the children of Israel when they were put into slavery. And I am with them now. And I will be with them when they go into the promised land and walk into houses they did not build and vineyards they did not plant and wells they did not dig. I will be, I will be with them then. God said, I was with you in your darkest moments. And I am with you now. And I will be with you when you walk out of bondage and in to freedom because you stayed focused on me. That's, that's what Yahweh means. And then he goes on to say this. He, he goes on to say this. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as El Shaddai. God Almighty, let's talk about that one. God Almighty. Have you ever felt, if you're, if you're a guy, you're gonna have to say yes, and if not, you're lying. Have you ever thought you could pick up something and you tried to pick it up and you couldn't move it? Shannon had an Amazon package delivered to the house and um, she said, baby, can you, can you take that and just put it in the garage? She said, are you, are you strong enough? You need some help. And when a woman says that, men, what do we say? Well, I'm strong enough. I can, I can get, the, get that Amazon package. It's a party chase. It's the only thing, that's the only talent I have. I do birthdays, parties, anniversaries. Anyway, anyway so I'm kind of flexed up and I'm out there with my, that Amazon package and I grabbed it and I was just gonna move and I grabbed it and it didn't, it didn't come with me. You ever done that? Just grab something. I don't know what it was. I, I think it was 17 blocks. I'm not sure what it was, but we, I grabbed it and, I'm, I'm, and she's looking, you need help? No, I'm good. And I'm sweating bullets and I'm, I'm cussing, um, just being honest. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying my best, but I'm not strong enough to, to carry this thing. And that's what happens in life. When people think that we're strong, I'm strong enough to handle this problem. I'm strong enough to handle this issue. I don't need anybody to know. I'm strong enough. I can, I can tight knuckle my way through this. How's that working out for you? See, God, that's why God said, I am God Almighty. In other words, the things that you aren't strong enough for, God said, I can handle that. You just, get, you just gotta give it to me. Then he said, I'm El Shaddai, which means I'm more than enough. I'm more than enough. He didn't say I'm enough. He said, I'm more than enough. 
And nothing in this world, nothing in this world will fill us up. I remember hearing about a world famous chef one time, and I'm not gonna tell you his name, it was Wolfgang Puck, but that was his name. He had a really famous restaurant. I was out of town and I was supposed to go to this restaurant because it was Wolfgang Puck. Um, and so I went to this restaurant and they were like, what do you, you know, I said, what's the best thing to get? Oh, sir, the filet. I was like, yes, the filet, filet mignon, just bring it. Um, and I'm, I praise God for all the vegans in the room because that's more filet for me. And they said, how you want it cooked? I said, medium rare to medium, like it should be cooked. Yes. Shannon gets hers well done. It's like a pork chop, but like, but it's okay because she don't eat it all. So I get to eat the rest of it. But um, so I said, medium rare to medium. So the Brent, they, they, and what, what side do you, baked potato? I want a baked, yeah, baked potato and salad. Yes, I want salad, bring it all, bring it all. And I'm sitting there enjoying this nice Wolfgang Puck restaurant, and they bring me my plate and the steak. Looked like a slider from Applebee's. And I, I'm not making this up. I looked at the steak, I looked at the waiter, I looked at the steak, I looked at the waiter. He said, Is something wrong, sir? I said, Yes, sir. I said, I need the rest of my steak. He said, well, this is Wolfgang Puck's restaurant. I'm like, well, you need to change his name to Wolfgang Suck because that's what the... <laughs> and I've never forgotten how much that meal cost me. It was a very pricey meal and it didn't fill me up. Just like everything in this world, it'll cost you a lot and it won't fill you up. You, if, you get, if you get 100 likes, you'll want 200. If you get 12 comments, you'll want 42. Nothing in this world will completely satisfy us, which means that we were probably made for something other than this world. That's what God said. I'm El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. And, and then he goes on to say, watch his promises, watch this. He goes off. Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you. From not I might, not I can, not I could, not I'm thinking about, but I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I'm the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. And Moses is like, you want me to tell him all that? Yep. All right. Now think about this. You're, you're an, you, you are a part of the, you're a child of God. You're, you are an Israelite. You've never read the Bible. So we can't be too hard on these people because they, they haven't read their story. They've never read the Bible. Now the, the stories of Genesis had been passed down to them orally, but they knew about God but they had been born into slavery. And at, according to them and their perspective in that moment, the Egyptian gods were real and they were more powerful than their God because they hadn't heard from their God in a while. And so they had grown up knowing about the Egyptian gods, knowing about who they were and what they did. And then God started moving and God worked through a process of 10 plagues. 10 is the number of authority in the scripture. God worked through a process of 10 plagues and every plague did, did a couple things. Number one, 
it tore down at least one Egyptian god, sometimes two, and in a couple cases, three Egyptian gods were attacked by one plague. And the second thing it did, was it taught the people of God who God was. And had God moved in and just snapped his fingers and handled the problem on the spot, they would have never gotten to see the power of God through a process. Let me show you what he did, this is crazy. So God did the first plague, and it was the plague of blood. That's where he turned all the water into blood. Now, there's the Egyptians and there's the Israelites. And the Israelites lived in a land called Goshen, which is like right outside of Egypt. And, and the plague of blood happened everywhere. So if you're an Israelite, you're like, well, okay, that's, that's pretty good that, that God's moving, but my water's like blood. That sucks, it can't get any worse. What else has God got? And then he did the frogs, y'all remember that? We talked about that in January, one more night with the frogs, y'all remember how crazy that was? Can, so you're, you're sitting there looking at all these frogs and you're thinking, well obviously God is doing something, but it's a little noisy and it kind of stinks. It can't get any worse. And then it got worse. The gnats. Hey, have you ever been outside and just been got like, God, kill me now because the gnats are all, like God, God allowed Satan to create two things, gnats and cats. That, that's what he got to make. And, and this, if, you're, if you are a child of God and you're watching God move, so far you're seeing his power, but you're not seeing him do anything for you. And what can happen is we can get early in the process and we can begin to see God move. Like we can see God save somebody. We can see God begin to change people. But our life hadn't really improved because we're still going through some stuff. And if we're not careful, we can start to doubt the word of God. We can start to doubt. And doubt always leads to discouragement. And discouragement will lead to denial. I don't think he's gonna work. What if the Israelites at plague seven said, we're done, this isn't working. But something happened. Something happened after the eighth plague. Plague number seven, the Bible says, God made a distinction. The children of Israel and Goshen, they didn't experience the rest of the plagues. The Israelites did. See, God will set his people apart in his time. So Israelites are sitting over and watching, and all of a sudden, they had the plague of flies. And the Egyptians are over here with fly swatters and the fly paper, and the people over in Goshen are like, man, okay. God's working, but we're still, we're still not free. See, they didn't know there were 10 plagues because Moses didn't tell them because he didn't know. He, he just kept going by. It, it's a crazy story. I didn't have time to do the whole thing. Um, but then there was the plague of the livestock where all their, all their animals died, except the Israelites, all their animals were alive and went out and had the goats and their chickens and, their, and, and everything. Every, over here, everything's dead. And then you had the, the boils, where the Egyptians, the Bible says that boils broke out all over their skin. And the Israelites were over here and they got their clear skin. Looking at all the Egyptians with boils going, well, obviously God is fighting for us. And obviously miracles are happening. But we're still not free. I don't know if this is gonna work. And Moses is like, hang on. 
I'm telling you, the man on fire in the bush told me that this was going to happen. When? I don't know. And that's what God's telling somebody tonight. Hang on. You're closer than you think. Keep fighting. Don't give up. Because then came the plague of hail. And, and this is literally all hell broke loose because hail was falling from the sky. And the Israelites were looking at the hail falling on the Egyptians and nothing was falling on them. And they went, well, God's moving, but we're still not free. And then came the plague of locusts. And that, that was just horrible because all the locusts came in and ate everything in Egypt, but they still had food over in Goshen. And they said, that's great, but we're still not free. And then the plague of darkness happened which was a direct attack against Pharaoh because Pharaoh was supposedly descended from the sun god, Ruah. And when the darkness happened, that was God basically showing everybody in Egypt, your God isn't God. But there was light in Goshen. They still weren't free. And then the last plague was the plague of the firstborn, which we're gonna talk about next week because next week we're gonna do communion and communion services at Second Chance are always special, always special. But the reason, I, the reason I set all this up is to show you that God started out by saying, I'm going to set you free. I am going to fight for you, but I'm gonna do it through a process. And if you'll stay with me and you won't give up and you'll, do, you're in, you'll endure some tough times, eventually you'll walk out of slavery, into freedom, knowing who I am and knowing that you could have never gotten there by yourself. And I'm telling you, there, there are people here going, well, Pastor P, I'm, let me set it up this way. People ask me, Pastor P, are you an addict? This is my answer, no, I'm not an addict. I'm a child of God who at one time wrestled with addiction and it sucked and it was awful. But God brought me through a process and there's power in staying through the process. Even when it doesn't feel like you're gonna make it, even when it hurts, even when it feels like there's nobody with you, God's power is in the process and he can break the power that addiction has on anyone's life. Pastor P, are you depressed? No, I am a child of God that at times in my life has struggled with depression. You know, if I am depressed, I don't tell people I'm depressed because I'm not gonna give that, I'm not gonna give that sin power over me. Some people, we love to identify with our sin, our sin. We love to identify with our struggle. I'm battling with anxiety. Why would you let that have power over you? I'm a child of God that's a little anxious right now, but I know that the power of God is greater than the power that whatever's making me anxious. So instead of surrendering to the power of anxiety, I'm gonna surrender to the power of God, knowing that in his time, he's gonna bring me through a process and I'm gonna be able to walk in freedom. If God can bring me through it, God can bring anybody in this room or anybody watching online through it. I'm here to testify and tell you tonight, we have a God that's stronger than whatever is in slaving you. If, if God's fighting for you, he's doing the countdown, right? Because when Mike Tyson will step into the ring and knock somebody out and they hit the ground, what did the referee do? 10, 9, 8, Seven, 
six, five, four, three, two, one. You're out. You might not be where you thought you would be. You might not be where you want to be. But you know what? If you'll, if you'll stay plugged into the power of God and let God walk you through his process, you can and will walk in freedom. Because at the end of the day, the Israelites finally, this is what I think, they got to the point where they had to say, he's too good to not believe. We, it started out, we don't know him. We just heard about him. But when you see him do all these things and it gets incredibly personal, you have to get to the point where you say, he's too good to not believe. And that's where I'm at in my life. I never in a million years thought I would have the life I've got today. I'm happier than I've ever been. I'm healthier than I've ever been. I feel better than I've ever felt. And if you would have told me that, about seven years ago, I would have told you that you were crazy, but God is bringing me through a process where he's shaping me and transforming me, and he's continuing to change my heart, and he's continuing to change my mind. He's not finished with me yet. He's working on me, and he's forming me into somebody, hopefully, that's becoming more like him, and that's what he wants to do for you. Say, Pastor P, how do I step into that process? Well, it's real easy. What's the next thing that you know God wants you to do? That's, that's your next step in the process. What's the next thing that you know God wants you to do? If you don't know, ask him. He'll let you know. For some people, you know it's to confess a sin. It's to ask for help. For somebody, it's to maybe check in rehab. Maybe it's forgive somebody because you've been holding on to a grudge for a long time and that hadn't gone well for you. What's the next thing that you know God wants you to do? And why wouldn't you do it? Because he's too good to not believe. And he's not good just for people out there. He's good for people in here and he's good to us in here. So Father, right now I wanna pray and ask you, Jesus, to help us tonight just to say yes. God, there are people in this room tonight struggling with shame, guilt, anxiety, depression. They've given so much ground to the enemy and tonight, tonight, Jesus, you did something in somebody's heart. You, you, you ignited a fire you started to work, your spirit started to stir, you began to fill us with hope. God, that's a miracle. And God, we're here to say that you're too good to not believe God, and we're gonna just say yes to whatever that is you want us to do. Because God, at the end of the day, we believe that miracles aren't something that just happened back then, they happened today. And you're a wonder-working God. God, you reign supreme over everyone and everything. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against us will prosper. And God, I pray that every single person in this room that belongs to you tonight,
would know that we could walk in your strength and we can walk in your power and we can walk in your authority and we can walk in your victory because of who you are. And God, because of what you have done and not only what you have done, but God, what you're doing now. And not only what you're doing now, God, but what you're going to do in the future because the best is yet to come isn't just a phrase. It is a reality for every person that walks in Christ. So tonight, Jesus, may we walk with hearts and minds and hands wide open, surrender to you saying, yes, God, here I am. Have your way, have your will in my life. In Jesus' name, let Jesus, I just wanna pray over every single one of us tonight with heads bowed and eyes closed. What's that next step that God wants you to take? What's that next thing that God wants you to do? It's a part of the process. Right where you stand right now, right now, right now. If you know what that next step is, just tell him yes. God, yes. Yes, I'll, I'll take that step. Yes, Lord, I'll go. Yes, Lord, I'll take that step. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll go. If you don't know what that step is, just ask him. God, what's, what's my next step? Because he will make it so clear. He will make it so clear. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never prayed to receive Christ and you know that's your next step. You need to ask Jesus to come in your life. You know you need that. You, you need the power of God in your life. You need Christ in you. You need to become a Christian. And if that's you and that, you know that's what you need to do, I'm gonna invite you to pray a prayer right where you stand and ask Jesus to come in your life tonight. I'm gonna ask you to pray it out loud, but here's what's cool. You're not gonna pray it alone. Our second chance family is gonna pray it with you because when you give your life to Christ, you're not doing it by yourself. You're stepping into a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with a family. And so if you wanna pray to receive Christ, I want you to pray this out loud, second chance family, let's pray it with them. Just say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you as my savior. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sin. And right now, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. Come into my life and take over. In Jesus' name, with heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, if you just prayed to receive Christ, I wanna pray with you and I wanna pray for you. So if you just prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor and just put your hand up and just leave it up for a second so I can see it, hold it up where I can thank you so much. Anybody else? Amen. Father, I wanna thank you for the hands that are in the air. I wanna thank you for the fact that you changed lives. Every service today, Jesus, you have changed lives. I pray that every single person that raised their hand would walk out of this room knowing that a miracle just happened in them. You brought them from death to life. And Father, I pray for every single person in this room that said yes to you tonight. Jesus, that as we walk out of this place, that we would know, God, that we're, yeah, we might be stepping into a struggle, but your strength is greater than our struggle. Your power is greater than the enemy's persistence. And God, we know that you reign. We know that you're supreme. We know that you're greater. We know that you're higher. And we know that in you, we shall overcome anything that the enemy throws our way. We thank you for your victory. We thank you for your authority. We declare that you are Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Everybody that agreed said amen and amen. Are you glad you came to church tonight? Don't miss next week, it's gonna be awesome. We'll see y'all next Sunday.